is the youngest member of the current U.S. Senate, but I am pleased to welcome Democratic California Senator Alex Padilla to this program. My friend, how are you, sir? Tal, it's good to be back with you. I'm doing well, doing well. I know it's day uh, after, but I can still wish you a happy King Day, King Week. You can indeed. I receive yeah. it. and I, I, I <laughs> Yeah, no, I receive it and I return it. It's good to, good to talk to you for a few minutes here. Um, let me just, uh, let me start with this. Um, uh, at this moment, um, how does it feel being a part of the U.S. Senate? How does it feel being a part of our government? On the one hand, on the Senate side, um, there is something for those of us who care about uh, the future of this country to celebrate. I mean, Democrats now have a little bit of breathing room, thanks to Raphael Warnock pulling off that race in Georgia. So a little bit of breathing room in the Senate. So maybe for those of us who are unapologetically progressive, as we are around here at KBLA Talk 1580, uh, that's a cause for celebration. On the other hand, uh, and on the other side of the of the chamber, um, there is uh, uh, this the, the House, and that's just a, a, a hot mess, if I can put it that way. So, as a member of the United States Senate, as a member of our Congress, how does it feel being in that space at this moment, given that we are in the in the midst of divided government? Yeah, it's uh, like there's there's a lot of emotions that come with this job at this time, uh, as you know, as a appointed by Governor Newsom a couple of years ago and uh, re-elected by the people for a full six-year term. And for everyone who's asked how, how, the, how it's been going, and look, it's a, it's a heck of a job, a tremendous opportunity and responsibility trying to weigh in, trying to have uh, uh, working people's voice in the deliberations of the most important issues for our country and for the planet. At the same time, it ain't easy. I mean, for the last two years, it was literally a 50-50 split Senate. Uh, going forward, we, ha- we now have that 51-49 majority, which does make a big difference. But as you pointed out, the House flipped. So getting anything done is hard. Uh, but I didn't take this job because it was easy. I took it because it's important. And uh, my wife, Andrew, is the first to remind me, every time we get frustrated, every time it seems a lot harder than it should be, uh, it's a... Uh, Reminder that it's because the issues that we deal with are important, from healthcare to environmental protection to justice issues, and on and on and on. Yep. What do you think? To your point, I want to follow you on uh, the time that we have here. Uh, but to the point you made a moment ago, that it is a lot harder. That governing these days is a lot harder than it should be. I suspect you're not the only person in the Senate or the House or the White House, for that matter, who feels that way. That governing uh, in America these days is a lot harder than it should be. Unpack that for me and tell me why you think it is, in fact, so much harder than it should be. Yep, yeah, and uh, you know, it's uh, everybody's, uh, regardless of where you might get your news or your information from, uh, is under the assumption that our country is pretty, pretty divided right now, and uh, and and it is more than it has been in most chapters of our nation's history. Um, but I think there is some good news. I mean, the first day when I was sworn into the Senate. Uh, in addition to a lot of the uh, congratulations, welcome, look forward to working with you from Democrats. I had more than I expected from Republicans as well, and even several of them saying, "Like if all you do is uh, hear what we say on Fox News, that's not really us. Behind closed doors, uh, it's different. There's those of us that are trying to find common ground, trying to find consensus on important issues, but uh, you know, looking for folks who are willing to do the work. Yep. They made and, uh, Yeah. And, and, I'm sorry. They may say that. I'm sorry. They may say, Senator, um, that um, that behind closed doors, we're not that way. But the record speaks for itself. And when we come forward, I want to interrogate the record. Um, The Senate could not have been more divided um, in the last term. And we will see what the the new term will bring. 
Uh, but that sounds like lip service to me that we're really not that bad. Well, you know, we, when you cast your vote, uh, I, I get a, a chance to understand what really matters to you. We were talking yesterday to your point about the King holiday and we were talking about the budget. Uh, we were talking essentially about, uh, what King called the triple threat facing this democracy. In case you missed yesterday's program, you missed a good one. Um, go to the podcast and check out all three hours of yesterday's show. If you were away yesterday for the King holiday, we took, uh, that triple threat, that King talked about, those three evils that he said are facing our democracy, racism, poverty, and militarism. And we took them one at a time, and we dissected where we are uh, 55 years after his assassination come April 4 this year, 60 years uh, come August after the March on Washington this year. Um, we dissected those three uh, evils yesterday, racism, poverty, and militarism. In our first hour, we were joined by UCLA's uh, brilliant public intellectual, Robin D.G. Kelly. In the second hour, we talked we talked about uh, racism with Robin D.G. Kelly. In our second hour, we talked about uh, militarism with Malia. Abdullah. In our third hour, we talked uh, with uh, Dr. Algernon Austin uh, about uh, poverty. So we spent all three hours yesterday breaking down this triple threat that King suggested was facing our democracy then and is still facing us now. I raise that because Senator Padilla said a moment ago uh, that they're searching for consensus. That's what some of these Republicans say. Well, they're really not. Um, and, and, I, and I raise that because King said famously that budgets are moral documents. We went over this yesterday. Budgets are moral documents. You can say what you say, but you are who you are. And when you put your budget on the table, I see what your priorities are. I see what matters to you. So they're saying one thing, but they're voting another way. Let's interrogate the record when we come forward with U.S. Democratic Senator Alex Padilla. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now, Senator Padilla, good to have you on again uh, for the first uh, half of this hour. Watching my time here, we got to about twenty minutes here, and I want to uh, about uh, twelve minutes actually left in this conversation. Not twenty. I wish I had twenty. Um, but there are a few things I want to interrogate with you. Um, since you uh, started this program uh, today, uh, uh, th- uh, congratulating and uh, us and thanking uh, uh, us for what we're doing here and. And uh, celebrating, uh, of course, King Day yesterday. Let me let me go to that triple threat and get you to sound off on it vis-a-vis the work of the U.S. Senate. So let's interrogate the work of the U.S. Senate right now, where we are as you see it on these three issues that King would be judging us on. We're he here today. Racism, poverty, and militarism. Let's take racism first. How do you see the work of the Senate uh, in the years to come with your presence there impacting racism as we know it in America? Yeah, no, and I appreciate how you laid it out, Tavis, because trust me, there is a lot of work to do. Uh, and we, we tackle the work by, by leaning into it and bringing the voice of uh, people of color to the conversation, particularly on the Judiciary Committee, where I sit. The criminal justice reform conversation is still unfinished, uh, but a higher priority with my uh, seatmate and brother, Senator Cory Booker from New Jersey, uh, whether it's the confirmation of federal judges, we've set a record diverse class of federal judges now serving at all levels of the judiciary, including the first black woman on the Supreme Court of the United States. A uh, couple quick points, Sabbath, because it's important to recognize, and you've spoken about it before, the, uh, the, the, the impact of the filibuster rule, a remnant of the Jim Crow era that is single-handedly the reason why we haven't been able to do uh, more uh, in, in Congress. Uh, and I'm going far back... Uh, before I joined the Senate, uh, but whether it's criminal justice reform, immigration reform, protecting voting rights, uh, 
marriage equality, a woman's right to choose on or not. It's the filibuster that has stood in the way, and the filibuster has got to go. But on the upside, I do want to point this out, uh, because since President Biden came into office, working with not just the Senate, but Congress as a whole, the terms equity and inclusion have not just been said out loud more than any other president and vice president that I can recall, but is built into a lot of the historic bills that have been passed in the last couple of years. Imagine that equity in COVID resources, equity in infrastructure investment, equity, not just in environmental protection, but addressing environmental justice. Uh, So we have a lot to point to for the work of the Senate and Congress these last two years, but I'll be the first to agree we got a lot more to do. On this issue of racism, if I move to poverty and militarism, um, let me link immigration to racism because there are many of us who believe uh, that America's immigration policy is racist. And some of us, including yours truly, were disappointed with the move the president made the other day when he added Haitians and Nicaraguans and Venezuelans, as I recall, to that list. Uh, and to your word, um, uh, uh, the, the E word you raised a moment ago, let me add a couple of other E words, expand and expedite. Expand and expedite are the two words that one uh, has to focus on with regard to what the president said the other day about immigration. So as a person of color, uh, a Latino, uh, a leader in this country, what say you about the state of immigration uh, in this country right now? Yeah, I mean, our immigration system is broken, long overdue for uh, modernization. Uh, That's a strong consensus uh, across Democrats and Republicans across the country. I think the president's... uh, uh, was wrong in this particular case. Title 42 has got to go. When people hear Title 42, we've got to realize that was not immigration policy. It was President Trump at the time abusing the, the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic to, uh, in essence, close the borders and turn away asylum seekers and refugees. Let's be clear who we're talking about. People escaping either corrupt governments, violence, natural disasters in Haiti, Cuba, throughout Latin America and beyond, uh, and for President Biden to uh, try to expand on that is uh, I mean, the wrong call, to put it mildly. While he in court, his administration is in court negotiating the end of Title 42. Federal judges have already ruled Title 42 has got to go. Yeah, I'm glad we agree on that one uh, because uh, we were going. I was going. I was going to become Ali. You were going to be Joe Frazier if if you would disagree with me on that one. <laughs> I think the president uh, was just was just wrong. So I'm, I'm glad we ain't got to fight about that, Senator Padilla. Let me move on from racism uh, to poverty, income inequality, economic immobility, and I, I always raise all three because they're they're connected. You can't talk about poverty without talking about economic inequality, without talking about economic immobility, um, uh, income inequality, I should say, and economic immobility. So talk to me as you see the Senate's work, what they ought to be doing that they're not doing to alleviate uh, extreme poverty in this country. Yeah. Well, look, one uh, uh, of the landmark pieces that was done, not on a permanent basis, but when the the American Rescue Plan was put into place, this was a COVID relief package passed by Democrats only, not a single Republican vote uh, just less than two years ago. In that, was the child tax credit, which benefited uh, lower-income families, primarily a lot of communities of color. We eliminated nearly half of child poverty in America for that year. Uh, it lapsed. We could only you know, get Republicans to agree for a one-year uh, relief at that time, and we've been working hard to try to reinstate it. In my opinion, we should make it permanent. It was good policy and helped uh, the people who need it the most in the country. So yet another example that Republicans continue to stand in the way of uh, 
uh, what we are trying to do. So whether it's getting rid of the filibuster or electing more Democrats and future cycles to overcome the filibuster, you know, we know the progressive uh, ideas that actually help people and not just ideas or proven solutions uh, that we need to continue uh, to build on. I'll give you one other one. This one was done by President Biden, the uh, student debt relief. We know that communities, that students of color disproportionately have to take out student loans because, like me, I was a perfect example. When I applied for financial aid in college, I realized that my dad's W-2 was less than my college tuition. Mm. And so we got to take out loans to try to pay for college if we're trying to get ahead. Uh, and so that student relief that would have disproportionately benefited students of color challenged by Republicans in court, and now it's a waiting game to see if it'll be uh, held up or not. So we've got to keep fighting every step of the way. Yep. Um, we discussed racism. We discussed uh, poverty uh, briefly here. Let me move to militarism. And before I do that, let me put a link um, between these two things. I don't need to convince you of this. Uh, you know this well. There's a direct link between poverty and militarism. Back to Dr. King, one of the things that disturbed King so much, angered King, frankly, in the last year or so of his life, um, and he went after LBJ on this. And I say all the time, sometimes you have to fight with your friends. Um, when I, you know, have to call out certain Democrats, um, people get, you know, they, they get funny style on you. But sometimes you have to fight with your friends when your friends are wrong. LBJ was a friend of black folk. He passed the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. And yet he and Dr. King got into it on the issue of militarism because LBJ had promised a war on poverty. But he started this war in Vietnam. And King said, the bombs that you're dropping in Hanoi are landing in the ghettos and barrios of American cities. You promised us a war on poverty, but you're, you're, you're squandering these resources to do something about poverty with this war in Vietnam. History is now very clear, abundantly clear, that King was right. LBJ and Robert McNamara were wrong. Um, so let the record state that King, again, was right about the war in Vietnam. But there's a link between poverty and militarism. militarism. King was making that link then. I'm making that link now as the U.S. military budget continues to grow and poverty continues to grow. Why can't we figure out that there's a link between those two things that we're spending a lot of money on military hardware and beyond, but not taking the issue of poverty seriously. Talk to me about the link as you see it between those two. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And uh, all the more reason why we need more of our voices. Uh, in uh, in Congress, I mean, eventually in the White House, uh, but for the time being in Congress, you know, there's enough of us now in the United States Senate that uh, we have informally created a Head Start Caucus. Imagine that people who, who were eligible and participated in the Head Start program now serving in the United States Senate, bringing those perspectives of right, what are our values when we pass the budget? No, of uh, uh, free meal programs through schools or city parks are not going to be the first on the chopping block when it comes to balancing the budget. It is a very different conversation with some of us uh, in the room than I think it has been uh, yeah. historically. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not bothered per se. Per se. Uh, by our support of Ukraine, uh, I believe in democracy, uh, even though I believe that we are not as yet a democracy. We are an experiment in democracy. That's just me. We ain't quite there yet. Um, but uh, I see all the billions of dollars, it seems, that we, we, we're giving to, to Ukraine. Uh, and now we're training troops uh, uh, in Ukraine. So we, we've gone overboard. Uh, we've done our share and then some vis-a-vis -vis this war in Ukraine. But that money that's being sent to Ukraine um, you know, ought to be spent uh, on poverty, on uh, on income inequality, on economic immobility in this country. And it always just troubles me 
that whenever we want to find money, we can mint money when we need it. We can make it when we need it for things like Ukraine, but we can't seem to find it when it comes to issues like poverty domestically. I digress on that. In the two minutes I have left with you, I have to ask you about Dianne Feinstein. This race in 2024 is already heated up. Uh, there's great concern about her health and great conversation about that seat. What does Alex Padilla say about the seat of Dianne Feinstein? Yeah. Well, look, I... Uh I've known and respected Senator Feinstein for a long time and enough to uh, defer to her on whatever decision she makes at whatever time she makes it. Uh, but for folks who are interested in running, I mean, that's how our democracy is set up. Uh, I've taken on some additional responsibility uh, with the DSCC, the campaign arm of Senate Democrats, to recruit uh, a more diverse set of candidates, help them raise money, and help uh, retain, if not grow, our Democratic majority beyond 2024 so we can keep you know pushing the envelope on the progressive policy in congress yep i can say this you can't uh and i have respect for diane feinstein too for the years of her honorable service but it seems to me that there comes a time uh when you need to step aside to make room not just for younger voices but for persons who are, are capable of doing the heavy lifting that it requires to be a u.s senator particularly for a state as big as california so with all due respect to diane feinstein um, I don't want her to end up like uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, thankfully, thankfully, we have a Democratic governor in this state. But at some point, the elected officials have to learn that you get to a point where it's just time to step aside. And when you don't, like RBG, you allow somebody else to take that seat who does everything they can to undo whatever legacy you thought you were leaving. I digress on that. Senator Alex Padilla, good to have you on this program. We'll do it again. Uh, and um, glad to have you there representing California and uh, the rest of us in the country who care about progressive issues. But uh, we'll do it again. Take care, my friend. Thank you so much. You take care as well. Good to have you on. We go from Senator Alex Padilla, after news, traffic and sports, to the youngest African-American mayor in the country. His name is Jalen Smith. He's the mayor of Earl, Arkansas. He was inaugurated on January 1st. He's 18 years of age. We'll talk to him in a moment. Stay with us.